gentlemen, welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining us here on Auto World. Auto World has been around quite a number of years, actually, going back to, to 1992. It expanded along the way from a one-hour show to a two-hour show to a three-hour show. So whether you're hearing any and all of our hours or just one or two hours, we are so appreciative of all of our great affiliate stations, and we are so appreciative of our audience and everybody listening online at GCNlive.com. Don't forget there you can get podcasts, you can get archives, and you can get on demand as well. Well, in this hour of the program, the uh, professor of lubrication will be joining us momentarily. That's right, Dan Watson, the uh, CEO, the head guy at the com, a gentleman with more than 25 years worth of lubrication experience, a former Navy nuclear propulsion engineer, and the guy that I learned something from every time he joins us here on the show. And if you have a question for him, we'd love to hear from you live. I know last week or a little while back we had some folks on hold and didn't get to them. So now is your opportunity to get in on the front half of the program, the front half of the hour. And we'll definitely get to you at 855-660-4261, 855-660-4261, or via the email. It's bob at autoworldradio.com or Dan Watson at com. Let's go to somewhere in my neck of the woods here in Orlando, Florida, and bring forth the professor of lubrication, Dan Watson. Dan, how are you doing? Doing well, Bob. Uh, just quickly, I am on my cell phone, so if uh, you lose me, uh, hey, call me back. <laughs> No problem. That's going to happen, and that's what makes live radio so much fun. Dan, I was wondering what your take was on the use of 15% ethanol. The announcement was made that this will be allowed by the EPA. What are the pluses and, of course, the minuses of this move? Well, uh, you know, it's a good subject, um, and... To be honest, I'd like to try to come up with some pluses. Okay, it's just hard. Uh, <laughs> it's I'm not a fan of ethanol, and uh, I don't begrudge any part of our uh, economy from making money. I'm a capitalist all the way, so if you got something and you can manufacture it and make money, good deal. But ethanol is just not a uh, a smart move, hardly in any direction. And why I say that is because ethanol, if you took one gallon of gasoline, regular gasoline, petroleum-based gasoline, and you took one gallon of ethanol, the ethanol would contain approximately 62 to 65% of the energy that you can derive out of the gallon of gasoline. 
So put that into perspective. And let's say that I just had one vehicle that was going to use a gallon of ethanol versus a vehicle that was going to use a gallon of gasoline. I put them at the starting line, and I run them on a down the road until they each run out of fuel. Well, the, the uh, ethanol-fueled vehicle would run out of fuel at about, uh, let's say both of these vehicles would go, we're looking at the gasoline vehicle would go 10 miles on a gallon. Well, the ethanol vehicle would go around 6.5 miles on a gallon. So you can't get as much, <coughs> excuse me, as much energy out of that ethanol. That's kind of a, not a correct chemical term, but you could say the energy density of the ethanol is less than the energy density of the regular gasoline. So, okay, fine. We know that. Now, here's the problem. We make this ethanol and we put it into our gasoline, and if I put 10% ethanol in the gasoline, that, what that means is I've displaced 10%. So if I had 10 gallons of fuel in my car, one gallon of it would be ethanol, and nine gallons of it would be regular gasoline. Okay. Well, the problem is that gallon of ethanol is going to reduce the total amount of energy that I have available to pull out of this gasoline in the tank, this mixture, and I'm going to get less fuel economy. Now, in my own life, my old banger here, my good old Suburban, I lose about one and a half miles per gallon on ethanol mixture over regular gasoline. Now, this is a 10%, okay? So I'm not sure that you're gaining much when I lose about 15% fuel economy, but I did that by losing, you know, by replacing 10% of the gasoline. So if you're talking about actually improving your situation, I just lost because I'm paying for now a gallon of ethanol in the mixture, but I ended up going less distance now. And the truth is ethanol costs more to manufacture than gasoline. So the only reason we can put ethanol in gasoline and not have the price jump way up is because it's been subsidized by the federal government. So anyway, this is all stuff that's just built around nonsense. But 15% ethanol for a lot of applications may start to be uh, suspect in how well it's going to be compatible with fields and some types of small engines, uh, marine applications. Uh, motorcycles, there's a number of places where that 15% is starting to get into uh, suspect areas that we're not sure how well they're going to be compatible. The other problem is is that ethanol in all kinds of small equipment is a disaster because a lot of small equipment, two-stroke engines, they may sit for a period of time and be used intermittently. And when they sit for a period of time, ethanol is excuse me, likely to separate or what they call laminate, meaning that it comes out of the gasoline, combines with some of the moisture or condensation that can come into a, a fuel tank, and separates from the gas and lays in the bottom of the fuel tank. Now, that mixture of ethanol and water can be very corrosive when it's picked up by the fuel system 
and delivered into the rest of the engine when you go to start it up the next time, and maybe it'll start, maybe it won't. Most of the two-stroke handheld equipment, like chainsaws and weed whackers, they may not even run. But here's one thing to remember in that two-stroke application with ethanol. Once it does that separation, none of the lubricant is in the ethanol water mixture. So if your chainsaw actually starts up after it's been sitting for a long time, you could have nothing but water and ethanol that it's trying to run on, and there is no lubricant in that, and you can end up uh, scoring or seizing the piston. I have a uh, a particular mower shop that I deal with that had over 200 uh, two-stroke warranty issues, and the the manufacturer will not stand by the warranty when it's damaged by ethanol because they have clear warnings in their, their owner's manual that if you use ethanol, you need to run the tank out or you need to use some type of ethanol stabilizer in the gasoline so that it will not separate laminate. Wow. That's some really important information. And again, as I said at the top, every time we learn something new from Dan Watson, every time he's with us, we'll take a time out for some important messages. And when we come back on the other side, I know we got some questions, and the telephone is open at 855-660-4261. Giving your radio a broadcasted tune-up. This is Auto World, and your host, Bob Long. McKenzie's behind the board, and you can join the phones, 855-660-4261. That's the way to get in, or via the email, bob at autoworldradio.com, or Dan Watson at thelooppage.com, and Dan and I both get a tremendous number of questions. And uh, what do you think, Dan? Shall we tackle some of these questions? Now we go back to uh, Dan Watson, and uh, Dan, we get a bunch of we get a bunch of emails here. Why don't we begin with Bud, who's uh, listening to us on many of our stations? There's a whole slew of stations in the Salem, New Hampshire area that take us. And he wants to do, ask you a question. And the question is, do you recommend using an engine flush? Now, there's something I haven't heard in a long time. Uh, Bud goes on to say, I've always been told they can damage seals. So give both well, Bud is, and myself the update. Yeah, it is a good question because there are there are engine flushes out there that are made from really a strong sort of caustic solution, high uh, like trisodium phosphate type things, almost like you'd uh, try to clean your pool deck with or something, okay? But these things are very aggressive, and they will definitely clean out, you know, sludge and varnish, but they're not easy on the seals, and that's one of the things that you have to be careful about because, yeah, you, you want to get the engine cleaned up with the flush, but you don't want to create so many paths for oil leaks that now you you have to have all your seals replaced. So you've got to be careful and uh, make sure when you're looking on the labels on these products that you read and that they have something in there where they're they're saying that they're compatible and and uh, will not harm seals or any of these kind of things because you just have to be careful and uh, you probably have to actually. 
pay for something that's decent. In other words, you might be able to find a cheap can of flush, but it might be the most expensive cheap can of flush you ever use yeah. uh, when it causes damage. Now, one from the uh, company that I you know, am associated with, Amsoil, they have a, a motor flush uh, that is not made from this stuff. A lot of these good ones are some combination of a type of an ester-based flush so that they loosen up and strip this stuff out. And you want to be careful to follow the instructions that are on these things. And there's not any of them true engine flushes that you should be driving your vehicle around once you put this stuff in. Sometimes they call for 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes of letting the engine run at a high idle. And you usually put the, the flush in with the old oil and let it do its thing. And then you drain it all out and... uh come in with new stuff and let it drip a little extra there you know don't just let it uh just start to empty and it's still kind of dripping out and you decide to put the plug back in let it drip for a couple extra minutes so that you drip most of that stuff out the engine flush will probably be completely neutralized by a new putting in new oil but for me i like to make sure that drips out completely before you go again and there are times folks when an engine flush is called for because let me give you a perfect example, and then we'll we'll move on to another question. I get calls sometimes from people. They say my car has started to use oil. I don't know why it wasn't using it. I got a hundred and you know forty thousand miles on the car, and up to one hundred and thirty thousand miles, it never used much. And now it's starting to use oil, and, and I'm concerned that I have a big problem. Well, here is pro- probably is going on. There are some stuck rings on the pistons. And when those rings stick, they're supposed to free float so that the piston has a little bit of movement, lateral movement, as it goes up and down the cylinder. And those rings free float and maintain good good uh, seal all the way up and down. So you get good compression in above the piston and nothing gets past it, no blow-by. Well, when a ring starts to stick over time because the oil inside the, the ring groove begins to finally... Uh, become gooey and then finally solid and sticks that ring, it doesn't free float anymore. So it's actually skipping a little bit from side to side and losing its ring seal. Now that com- that high compression up in the cylinder blows past that stuck ring into the crankcase of the engine and it pressurizes the crankcase. Now remember that term, it pressurizes the crankcase. Not a lot, a couple of pounds. But here's the thing, you've got in your car a PCV valve. That stands for positive crankcase ventilation. So once you create a positive pressure in the crankcase, that PCV valve opens a path to relieve that pressure and it puts it right into the suction of the engine, which would be the intake, and you burn whatever oil vapors in that because it puts it right into the intake with the suction or the air of the engine coming in. So all of a sudden, you go from little of any oil usage to all of a sudden you're, you're cranking out some oil consumption and you don't see much of it because it's taking it at such a light vapor and burning it that you don't have any real heavy smoke coming out behind you, but you're starting to consume oil. Well, here's a place where on your next oil change, if you use a good quality engine flush, you can free those rings back up. And I would highly suggest that you come back in with a good quality synthetic engine oil that something like 
the Amsoil signature series that is not going to stick to rings because it's just not going to break down in those situations. But in any event, that's a place where you'd use an engine flush. And if it worked and it freed those rings and your oil consumption went back down, and you'd go, wow, my engine wasn't worn out after all. So there are places where they the flush can be useful, but there are also a lot of times the flush is being used for no good reason whatsoever. So just, you know, pay attention to the thing. And if you have questions on those things, of course, you can contact me at thelubepage.com. What's our next question, Bob? The next question comes out of Arkansas, and the gentleman is Chuck, and he has a question, and the question is, what is the difference in 20W50 and 5W30 oils? I think 20W50 gives more protection, so why shouldn't I run it in all my cars? This is a a question that is not uncommon. There's a lot of confusion about these new weight oils. Well, I think we're going to have to answer that when we come back from the break. Yeah, that sounds good. This is On the World. I'm Bob Long. You're listening to Auto World with Bob Long. You better watch out, man, how you drive that Cadillac there. We want to congratulate Ronald in Florida, listening on uh, WOCA, I believe, in Ocala, Florida. That may be a new affiliate station. We're looking into it, but Dodge is the answer on the uh, the dart question. That was an easy one. I'll throw out another relatively easy one. Back in the 1970s, actor Ricardo Montalban talked about rich Corinthian leather in what particular car? 855-660-4261, Bob at AutoWorldRadio.com. Dan Watson is with us. He's one of the largest distributors of AMS oil in all of North America. And by the way, if you're interested in becoming a a distributor, Dan would be an excellent person to talk to about that. But meanwhile, let's get back to the question from Chuck in Arkansas who writes, What's the difference between 2050 and 5W30 oils? And then he says, I think... 20W50 gives more protection, so why not run it in all my cars? What do you think, Dan? Well, it is a question which uh, was really, really uh, pretty big back. You remember, Bob, since I see you can remember Ricardo Montalban, so (laughs) you can (laughs) remember the past. Uh, In the 90s, when Castrol GTX had their... Uh, commercial where that was all about beat the heat and so forth, and that was their 20W50, Castrol 20W50, you know, beat the heat. And so people were really tuned into the fact that you use this 20W50 in hot weather and it's going to give you protection. And uh, that was hard to actually get straightened out over time for those of us in the oil business because... um, Here's the problem you run into. If, you, if you've got a 20W50 uh, for Chuck, to let him know, 20W50 is a much thicker oil than 5W30. Okay, now, so, yeah, you think about that and you say, well, thicker will give me more protection because the film strength of this thick oil should be better at separating moving 
mechanical part. However, the problem is that in a modern engine, the uh, clearances and where this oil goes is actually tighter than what 20W50 is designed to fit through. For example, in your connector rod bearings, you've got this little hole that allows oil to ooze out from the crankshaft onto the face of the bearing. Now, that's a pretty tight little bearing gallery, oil gallery we call it, and it's actually small enough that 20W50 oil would be just slowly oozing out, not coming out at the rate of speed that you want it to that the 5W30 would. So technically what happens is the bearing would have to run about 50 degrees hotter than normal so that the 20W50 would thin down enough due to the higher temperature to squeeze through the hole at a rate which would feed the bearing correctly to prevent wear. So one of the things in this when it comes to the thickness of oil is you have to pay attention to what the mechanical engineers that designed your engine designed it for as far as clearances are concerned and what weight of oil was going to be mandated by the manufacturer in this engine to run. Because if you get it too thick, uh, you may not properly lubricate the engine. So most of our newer cars, and I think I'm, I'm calling them newer, but from the 1990s on, uh, our 30 weight applications and now from about 2010 almost everything is a 20 weight application. So you got to pay attention to this and at least don't make a, uh, you know, a wild guess on what you can run in the engine. Look at your owner's manual, pay attention to that, and then if you're in real question, seek out some correct advice from some kind of a, an oil expert that can tell you whether you could interchange those oils. Most of the time, 2050 is too big a leap for 5W30. You can, in a lot of cases, depending upon the age of the engine and so forth, you can run 30-weight oils where 20-weight oils called for, and in most cases you just lose a little bit of fuel economy. But you go up to a 20W50, and in some of these modern uh, little high-performance four-cylinder engines, you'd probably cause a lot of, wear in there because the 20W50 just would not get to the places quick enough to lubricate them as it's intended to. So the difference is 20W50 is thicker than 5W30, and uh, you should never run 20W50 unless somebody has specifically designed that engine for looser clearances. Like some of the guys we know, Bob, go out here to outside of Orlando to Bithlow and up in New Smyrna, and they race mm-hmm. cars. Well, those cars... A lot of those engines are what we call loose, and they're loose so that they can they can gain RPM exceptionally fast. And these guys are running around at 8,300 RPM on those those tracks, and those engines are put together loose, and they run 20W50 engine oil so that they're not slapping the bearings side to side. But you take your car on the street, it's very tightly engineered, and you need to stick with nothing more than a 30 and probably a 20-weight oil in many of them. So I hope that answers Chuck's question. Good answer for Chucky in Arkansas. Let's go to Frank, uh, listening to us in New Mexico. Frank, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Hopefully we got you, Frank. Uh, I got a question for Dan, and I also have an answer to the trivia question. Which would you like first? <laughs> sure. Well, let's get the uh, trivia question out of the way. Ricardo well, of course, Montalban. That was the 
Cordoba with rich fine <laughs> Corinthian leather. <laughs> That's 100% correct. Yeah. I, had a, I had a friend who had one of those uh, and uh, loved those seats. So we'll and if you remember have to the uh, cars that they used on Fantasy Island to chauffeur the guests around, those were altered uh, Chrysler, uh, I mean, they were Volares. You know, station wagon Volaris that they opened up the sides and they turned them into little buses there that they would tur- ferry the tourists around on Fantasy Island. <laughs> <laughs> All right, a flash that, that in the goes past. back in time. Absolutely. Go well, right my ahead. My question for, for Mr. Watson is: uh, uh, two or three weeks ago, he mentioned a uh, kind of an intermediate step in cleaning up your motor for cars that might have like high mileage he suggested maybe one quart in four of the best AMS oil for a gentle not a big shock cleaning and I was wondering are my cars at the stage where I could just go you know four full quarts of AMS oil anyhow because uh, I've been using synthetic and I want to switch over to AMS oil but I just wondered about that uh, method he suggested for high mileage cars well, here's here's how I I, look, I approach that, Frank. It's like this: if you know the condition of your car and you've been using uh, a high quality petroleum or uh, another synthetic, and you've been religious about your oil changes with the petroleum, or you've kept pretty close to what you need to do with the synthetic, you probably don't have an engine that needs much of anything regardless of the miles on it because you've done the right thing. Where I think that quart of uh, AMS oil put in with four quarts of uh, petroleum is best used is kind of in an unknown situation. Your person that buys a, a late model used car, it's got 120,000 miles on it, and you just don't know what its condition is, but you want to convert it over to a high-quality synthetic like AMS oil, I think we're coming up on the break. Is that the break? No, it's just a little traffic in the background. Oh, okay. Anyway, so you don't know. You don't know the condition of that engine. And here's the danger of going straight to Signature Series AMS oil uh, without doing something, and that is that... Uh-oh, now I hear it now. Now we're coming up to a break. Oh, you answered my question. I'm not at that stage, and I know the history, so I'll just go whole hog. Well, when I come back, I'll, I'll add a little bit to that, Frank. Yeah, yeah, hang with us, Frank. We'll uh, take a pit stop and then more, and we got some open lines, 855-660-4261. This is Auto World. Giving your radio a broadcasted tune-up. This is Auto World and your host, Bob Long. With more than 25 years of experience in lubrication, a former nuclear propulsion specialist with the U.S. Navy and one of the largest AMS oil distributors in all of North America, we've got the man himself, Dan Watson, with us and with Frank Gallen from New Mexico. And uh, you had a few more... Th- little uh, gems of wisdom to pass on to uh, Frank. Yes, uh, we were talking there about, uh, we said that if it, you had like 120,000 miles, you had a vehicle that was unknown, this is where you might be looking at using what we call a slow clean with a quart of AMS oil 
signature series mixed in with the other oil for the first uh, out to 3,000 miles for that first oil change, and then you've, you've done a nice slow clean. Well, the deal is is that when you don't know what the condition of the vehicle is, if you were to come in with the full five quarts of Amazon signature series in this unknown and what you think is potentially a, a dirty engine, it's going to clean it. It's going to clean it, I mean, real thoroughly. And <laughs> what you have to be careful is that all that stuff that gets cleaned will be some of it picked up by the filter and some of it will drop down into the crankcased oil pan. Okay. Now, if you can get it all in the filter, that's good. But if it drops down into that crankcase and enough of it gets on the pickup screen to the oil pump, you could have some pulsating oil pressures, okay, and you don't want that. So it's best to be cautious and safe with an unknown vehicle. Now, like Frank said, he knew his was no problem because he's been changing oil religiously, and now he's been using a synthetic for a while. So you got a pretty clean engine. But it's those that you buy a good-looking used car, and it's got miles on it, and you don't really know. You could try looking at the oil on the dipstick, but if they changed it at the used car dealership recently and that oil looks pretty clean when you look at it, you wouldn't realize that there's a lot of stuff stuck in the nooks and crannies that that signature series oil from Amsoil, which has an ester component in it, is going to clean it. One thing about Amsoil signature series when you run it in engines, and I can tell you from seeing the inside of them that the three, four, five, six hundred thousand miles of them, they're as clean as the whistle. They look like they're brand new. And in many cases, you can just see the you can see the machining, what they call hatch marks on the cylinder walls that have never <laughs> even been worn down. So uh, it's a tremendous oil. You're going to get every every dime of what you pay for with that oil. It's a terrific oil. So anyway, that's the cautions. You've got to be careful when you're when you're taking an old car. And uh, you know, it's time for another question, another story. But it's even worse with transmissions. You got to be real careful. So Absolutely. we can go to the next question. Maybe we we'll get a couple in. Yeah, definitely. And Frank, you've got uh, Dan's number. Why don't you give it to Frank one more time? Yeah, you can call me at 800-370-2986, or you can go to thelubepage.com. That's thelubepage.com, and you can contact me through the loop page. Will do. Excellent. All right. Thank you, Frank. Let's go to uh, Corpus Christi. Texas, K-E-Y-S, and Brad writes us. He says, I have a diesel truck with a urea tank. Can I remove this tank, or does it matter? Boy, does it matter. Tell everybody about this one. Well, I'll say this for you. (laughs) You can remove any tank, whatever you want to do, but I'm not sure you want to pay the fine, so be real careful because I think the federal government's going to just come down like a ton of bricks on anybody that removes that because it's part of the enhanced uh, exhaust system for uh, pollution control. Now, if you've got a urea tank, I would tell you that you should go out there and pat that side of the truck and say, thank you, Lord, thank you, Lord, because it's the best thing that happened to these turbo diesels and engines that have been out there because I don't don't have time to make a whole show on this. I'm not going to get deep into it, but just, just know this. Your truck was just suffering from intense exhaust gas recirculation trying to control nitrous oxide emissions, okay? And you put this urea tank in, and when they spritz a little of this urea into this chamber that catches into the exhaust, it neutralizes that nitrous oxide and turns it to water vapor, okay? 
And now you can cut back on this incredible exhaust gas recirculation that was trying to defeat this nitrous oxide before. And, folks, when that exhaust gas recirculation would reach 50, 55, 60%, what that means is that exhaust was replacing 50 or 60% of your intake air. You can't burn fuel without oxygen. There's no oxygen in the exhaust coming back. So what that means is you're choking the engine down, trying to cool the cylinders to prevent the high production of nitrous oxide. Well, the urea tank eliminates the necessity to do that at that rate. So your truck now is liberated to run like it's supposed to. You get better fuel economy, better performance. So you pat that urea tank and you'd be glad it's there and don't go back to that heavy EGR system without it. And also, don't catch a big fine and maybe have your truck confiscated because you're, you're taking off the urea tank. So, Really good advice. Clyde in Atlanta would like to know, is lithium-based grease the best grease? Well, the answer first on that is is the lithium has got nothing to do with the actual lubrication quality of the grease. The lithium is what we call in the business the thickener or the soap. And if you imagine grease, folks, it works like this. Grease is like a sponge, and the oil is in the sponge. And if I take that sponge and, and contact something with it, oil oozes out of the sponge. So all the grease is, the lithium is, excuse me, is a system to hold the lubricant in place. So you use grease in a lot of places where you have no containment for liquid lubrication. So you need to wick that oil out of the grease onto the moving part so that it lubricates the moving part. All the lithium is is a thickener. It's a good one, no problem with that. But there's another one in the business called, uh, it's, it's referred to as overbased calcium, okay? That is probably the best performance uh, thickener because what happens is the overbased calcium itself, calcium is an anti-wear agent in its own right, and when the calcium, um, when the oil is uh, wicking out of the calcium thickener, it takes the calcium with it, and it has higher load-carrying capacities because of that. So when you're looking for a grease, if you find one that's called overbased calcium, it will be a higher-performance, heavier load-bearing grease than the typical lithium or lithium complex. And the truth is today, the lithium, which has been very popular, is getting more and more expensive, and you can guess why, because we're using all this lithium in batteries for everything that we use from cell phones to these hybrid cars using lithium batteries. Mm -hmm. So that grease is going to get more and more expensive as we go along. So ready for the next question, Bob? Yeah, George listening on WMKT in Traverse City. He writes, I see some rear-end gears call for 75 W90 gear lube, while others require 75 W140 gear lube. Does 75 W90 provide enough protection, or is the 75 W140 overkill? Well, it's a reasonable question from looking just from the outside looking in, but just like everything else, you design a set of gears. They're going to be put into a certain application. Now, the mechanical engineers, the gear manufacturers, call upon the lubrication engineers to make sure that these gear sets are going to last, that they've got the lubrication they need. Most of the time what you find is that 75140 is used where you're going to have higher shock loads. 
most of these gear sets can run on, on pretty light lubrication when you're just going down the road. But imagine this for just a second, Bob. you got a a dump truck, a trailer dump truck, right? And the guy's got a sure. manual transmission in it. And got a big old heavy-duty diesel up front. And that thing is loaded with 70,000 pounds of dirt. Well, when he shifts gears and lets out that clutch, there is a hammer effect going back into that gear set. I mean, it's kaboom as it hits those gears, right? Now, 75-140 is thicker, so it gives you a cushion between the gears to give you better shock absorption than 75-90. So when you have a set of gears that are in an application where heavy hammering or shock loads are expected, 140 is going to be the choice. When you're in a set of gears where you don't expect that kind of shock loading and it's more consistent and even loading, 7590 would be preferred because the 7590 is probably in the long run a little bit better for your bearings in that transmission than the heavier 75140. But it doesn't do you any good if your bearings survive and your and your gears are being spalled or hammered into a spoon shape. That's not going to do very much for you. So. <laughs> 75140 is going to be called for heavy loading shock absorption situations. 7590 for more of a straight line load. So that's the difference. Maybe we can get this last one in if we hurry. Absolutely. Tim in Altoona, Pennsylvania. I'm a little confused on octane and cetane. Can you explain these terms? We'll, we'll do that next week. We'll do that first thing next week. We'll also get to Gary in Pennsylvania and all the folks on the telephone lines as well. Thank you so much, Dan Watson, for all of your usual excellent advice. And uh, we look forward to getting you back next week. 